It is time for the new Dan Vogler 4D Experience Podcast. Are you ready? Buckle in. Let's go for a ride. Down in London, you are. Holy yeah. crap! How? Wait, because I was I was there, and we were going to see each other, and then, and then all it all went down in London. They started closing things, and then I left, and that was what like a month ago, or yeah, a little. That over was crazy because <laughs> I want to apologize about that. Because we, <laughs> yeah, we, made, we made plans, like, we made plans like three days in a row, and I was like, "Yeah, no problem." And I was, I was, that was at the beginning of this craziness yeah. where first the lockdown first happened, and I and, and I foolishly thought that I would be able to be a parent and a teacher right. <laughs> all day long, <laughs> and then have the energy, that have the fucking energy to go over to your I know, I know, brainstorm. well. To be fair to you, you had already been homeschooling for a bit, a minute, right? And then... I had been homeschooling for about, I'd say about a uh, maybe like a week or two. We were just, we were, uh, we just got into the groove with that. Okay, we right. just figured out how to fucking do that without exhausting ourselves and driving ourselves sure. insane. Right. So right at the beginning there, that was insane, man. I mean, I, I, I was, uh, my wife and I were like just so happy we didn't have teenagers because right you know we because they would have killed you how, how the hell are people say it again they would have killed you if they were teenagers yeah like we, would, we wouldn't be shame. doing this <laughs> yeah exactly it, you know i don't know how i don't know how fucking people are doing it i i'm, I'm definitely like i'm i'm starting to you know get loopy you know I'm, it, well yeah you got out well so how was that traveling? So you left well, London when? Okay, so I left London, I guess, on like March 22nd, I believe. So we were in this weird vortex of like, we had come from Romania. We had been filming for two and a half months. We were exhausted. We just escaped from Romania. I mean, it was. It was escape from Romania. They, we basically, we were in our film production. I mean, we're, you know, we're very privileged to kind of get the information as needed. And we sort of said... Well, you know, we're filming this weekend and just want to make sure that, you know, you're not going to lock down the country. And they're like, we can't guarantee that because it's getting bad here. And, you know, we want to go under martial law and lock this thing up. And we're like, whoa, 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 no, you can't do that. So we basically had a flight booked out of the Bucharest airport. And if that didn't happen, we had fans on standby to drive us over the border into Bulgaria to fly out of Sofia to get to London, just to get to London, right? Holy so, shit. I know. So it was a lot to even get to London. We get to London and we're like, they're going to shut us down. Like the London Film Commission is going to go, uh-uh, you can't gather and continue to film, you idiots, because your film had gone down 
Zoe's film went down. Like, everybody was telling me, everyone in the business was like, you know, well, they stopped it, you know, and there was another, like, some DreamWorks production in Hungary, um, and one of our crew members was related to the producer, and they were like, well, they shut us down. We're flying home. When are you guys flying home? We're like, we're flying to London to keep filming. (laughs) It was so stupid. Anyway, no one shut us down. We finished filming, and, like, the next day, Boris, yeah, we filmed. outside thank god we weren't in studios so we weren't anywhere where anybody was like touching surfaces or anything so we were in all (laughs) exterior so everybody kind of kept everyone was levitating what was the the movie it's 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 called well right now the work it's called the asset um it's michael keaton myself and sam jackson and Michael and Sam had finished right before London, so they didn't have to cut. Well, actually, no, Sam had a pickup that he said he would see me in London for the pickup, which clearly didn't happen. But Michael was already done, and so we were sort of texting going. He's like, what the hell's happening? Are you guys okay? I'm like, no, we all got stuck in Romania, and now we're in London. He's like, what the hell is going on? So it was just a very, very surreal. And then I wanted to see you to do this in person because I love you, and I love seeing you in person. But, you know, as luck would have it, even after we got to London, we had freaking weather days. Like, leave it to London. We're, we're filming during a global pandemic. Like, shit's <laughs> gone down. It's super real. And then it rained. London, like, true to form, it rains. And we're like, oh, we have a weather day. We're like, what? We have a weather day? We're filming during a pandemic. We can't have a weather day. That makes no sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we can't, like, yeah. be delayed because of rain. But we were for a day. And then, um, sorry, I'm going on and on, but my sister works for Delta, and I was booked on a flight out of London on Delta. So I texted her and said, hey, just want to make sure, you know, this is okay. She said, well, Max, we just canceled all of our flights to London. So I can't imagine that in a week we're going to be flying out of London to L.A. So she contacts her manager, and her manager says, well, when is the passenger flying? She says, March 22nd. She goes, we're not going to be flying then. <laughs> Everyone was canceling flights, so it was really not a matter of whether I was American or not and could get in the country. It was whether anybody was going to actually be operating to get us there. It was insane. That's insane. Yeah. So wait, so how did you, so you eventually flew out how? Uh, There was one BA flight that was operating like Virgin wow. canceled United was gone Delta was gone like every option we were booked on was gone and BA bless their cotton socks had decided they were going <laughs> to do this one flight to LA it was hysterical because they were a little bit I think because their prime minister was also a little bit laissez-faire about the whole thing right he was just sort of like well people still need to drink in bars right and it's like not, no no <laughs> no they really really shouldn't do that and so it wasn't until, like, the day I left where he was like, maybe we should lock this down. And he did. So I get on the flight, and the flight attendants are like, so when we land in LA, we can still, like, go out and have fun, right? I was like, no! So it was weird. Insane. It was a little, a little bit of a disconnect. So Michael Keaton and, and Sam Jackson are two of my favorites. Anything? Have you worked with them before? No. Not only did I not work with them, I didn't know them at all. Like, at all. Wow. So, it was my so first... Was you know, sometimes you meet people. It was fantastic. First of all, as you well know, being one of the people who is, um, you know, because we've worked together uh, several times, and 
I can tell you from my experience with you that uh, I am a fan and I enjoy watching you and I will often get lost in what you're doing because you're that good. Oh. No, you are. And, um, and that happens with a certain caliber of actor. There's certain actors where, you know, sometimes people can be acting and you'll have a dialogue in your head and really not know what's going on. <laughs> or question why you're there or why this is all happening. And then there's other actors that you work with where you just, you know, I had a scene with Michael Keaton in this, in this um, bookstore and um, he's really curious about this woman and he's, he's, he's talking, he's super intelligent, but so is she. And so there, it's this sort of tennis match that's going on. They're finding out what they want to know, but no one is saying explicitly anything. They're not asking each other anything explicitly. They're not saying anything explicitly, but they're still trying to figure out each other, and they're doing it well. It's written well. This guy Richard Wank, who's a, who's a you know one of arguably one of the top writers right now in Hollywood, wrote the script. He's just you know he's got just got great dialogue, great dialogue. So I'm in this scene, and I'm watching Michael do this scene. And I'm going in my head, this would never be the same scene if it was a different actor. It just wouldn't be this good. And that's a pleasure and a joy to do and be around, obviously. So it was awesome. And Sam and I have this father-daughter relationship in the movie where he sort of raised her. Now, she's obviously not his kid, but she... He raised her as a young child, and they have this beautiful relationship. They're both adults, but there's, there's so much love there, and there's so few times in cinema where I see these relationships that are non-sexual, that are, you know, that are completely platonic, and the love is so deep because it's so much bigger than a fleeting kind of romantic love. It, it's really like you know, a love that's rooted in hardship and the two of them and only having each other. And so to be able to create that with Sam was really fun because I kind of felt that way about him as a person already. I, I, I really liked him as a person. And so thank God, because as you well, as you know, I mean, I don't know if you've had the experience, but I know that for me, I've, I've had experiences with people I've had to have deep connections with that I, I really didn't have deep connections with. <laughs> oh, yeah, and you so when you, Yeah. 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 Oh my God. It's awful. Sure. It's sort of like, and you do yeah. it, but man, it, it's so nice when you develop some kind of chemist, personal chemistry, and then you can build off of that. You know, it's almost like cheating yes. a little bit. Um, we, last time I saw, last time you were on the show, we were working on a movie called the argument, um, with, uh, directed by Robert Schwartzman. And did you know yes. that it got into Tribeca? It got into Tribeca. You know, it, it hurts so good, man. <laughs> yeah. Not only did it get in, we were going to have our premiere at Tribeca, which is yeah. such a big deal. Like, Tribeca's one of my favorite festivals ever. And for them to say, yeah, we, we, we liked it so much. I mean, clearly, Dan Vogler at the helm, that we want you to premiere yeah. here and we want it to sort of be in competition, whatever it is, uh, was so amazing. And, and what Robert said to us on that group text was that Tribeca yeah. sort of is holding firm that when they do come back, they still want us. And that's really? so exciting. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, he mm. said uh, Robert uh, alluded to the fact that um, I guess it's going to have some kind of distribution. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe it'll end up on. Yeah. 
That'd yeah, be nice. it was some kind of like cool little cryptic text, right, that he sent where he's like, updates real soon. Like, you know, he's got something brewing. <laughs> yeah. I was looking back I, at his I, house uh, drinking um, wine from the Coppola Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> how, and how kind of, how kind of prophetic was that movie? Just like everyone stuck in the oh. same house, you know. Oh, Completely over and over every Groundhog Day, you know. That's it was like, Groundhog Day, and everyone was losing their minds. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. and not wanting to participate like in life. Yeah, that's what it feels like. <laughs> Nobody was nice yeah. to each other anymore because it had happened too many times over and over. <laughs> that's okay, so, so I didn't even think about that. When um, so last time you were on the show, you we we started getting. And that's what I really want to spend a lot of time on for this show is... Okay, okay. Okay, okay shit. Oh, my God. I'm, like, I'm you, chomping at the bit. I'm so excited. What? What is he going to say? Well, you started... I really want to... I do something, uh, a segment on the show called... It's really becoming a, a lot of this lately. It's called Tales from Beyond the Veil. And oh, um, so, so you had uh, a couple different stories that you told where you had um, were animals, like spirit animals, uh, oh, actual animals. Like you had all these yeah. connections with the, with the, sure. um, the actual, the essence of these, these animals. You know, the hummingbird story, the, the hawk wait, story. Wait, no, like, wait, you, Dan, I cannot believe you're bringing this up on this podcast. Well, as, why? Okay. As this more, I have just finished hand-raising a baby hummingbird no. For the past week, who literally flew off. I left the door open this morning and was like, you're ready. And remember that actor, Thora Birch? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. named her Thora Perch. <laughs> <laughs> because what happened yeah. was, I, yeah. <laughs> I thought she was a male, so I named her Thor. Because when I found her on the path, I was hiking oh. with a friend. I found her on a path. And she was, you know, like slightly, I don't know, I want to go as far as they emaciated, but she fledged maybe like a little early. And then she was obviously very dehydrated and her feathers were all messed up and her eyes were slammed shut. And she just like was in the hot sun in the middle of this path. And it's just like birds of prey everywhere. It's like hawks are just circling and domestic cats and, you know, all this stuff. So I'm like, oh, God. And so, I, you know, I did all the things. I waited. I waited for the mom and dad to come back. I looked for the nest. I wanted to put her back. I mean, I couldn't, none of those things checked out. So. I had to take her home. And so I'm like, shit, I don't know how to do this. So I started to look it up, and then I made sugar water, and I was, I was, I was sitting around with a dropper. And then by day two, I was crushing insects, like catching insects in my greenhouse, and then crushing them in a pestle and mortar and putting them in the nectar and then giving her some protein. <laughs> I started, no, it's, it's, this is so insane that you're asking me that I don't know. And then she, and then she started getting stronger. And then what I did was I went and wow. like ripped all these branches off and found all these dead branches. And I, I put them all over the house because so she had all these perches all over the house to fly to. And then she started flying. And then I started bringing, day four, I brought in this, these nectar flowers. Like I cut a branch from one of the nectar trees and I put it in and she started hovering. And she started learning how to, you know, and then I brought her into my greenhouse one night and started to try to show her how to catch bugs on her own. Not that I showed her with my tongue. <laughs> you were, <laughs> can you imagine if I did? Were you flitting around? Was were you sacrificed? <laughs> I was, I was talking her through it as if she understood what I was doing. But no, I'm sure she, she did. Hold on. Well, 
yeah, energetically, I was kind of like showing her. Anyway, so telepathically. So so okay. Okay, finish your story. <laughs> finish your story. <laughs> what this is so so anyway so yesterday oh god so yesterday so i adopted this puppy yesterday who is in vegas but and then i had to pick up another one for my sister and then another one for my friend who was adopting another one they're all from the same litter so i go to vegas to pick up these puppies but thora perch needs to be fed every 30 minutes so i just took her with me so we went on a road trip with this hummingbird sitting on my shoulder you know, meaning every 30 minutes and then feeding her the bugs and the sugar water. And, like, oh. and then we get there and I stayed the night at my friend's house and, and she's got a cockatoo. And so she met a cockatoo and she was flying over the house. And then I brought her back and I knew yesterday, I was like, she's ready. She's ready. She knows what to do. They're wild animals. They know what to do. She's ready. So I said this morning, I said, I'm just going to leave the door open. And 30 minutes after I left the door open, she swept the door and she hovered. And as we're speaking, I'm watching her follow another adult hummingbird around the yard. It's, it's, right it's the craziest thing. Right now, they're on a bougainvillea bush, and there's an adult, and, I, and I'm watching her just follow, and they're sort of flying away now. Okay. I mean, I can't believe you're asking me about this. I can. I'm psychic. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm, – Yeah, you are. I understand this. I understand this now. And so are you. You, you definitely yeah. have that. Okay, because no, I don't. Who else? Who else has experiences? But I want for your audience members who are going to attack me. What did you say? Yeah. No, for your audience members, I want to be very clear that I called a hummingbird expert. Well, actually, my, my, my girlfriend, she called a friend of mine. She called a hummingbird expert, and we called wildlife services in LA and we said well this is what we did and they said you did everything right so oh my god don't beat yourself up she would have died it's good you brought her home it's good she's eating this is all good stuff if you want us to take over we will if not you can wow. do it and you can release her and we were like that's what we'll do we'll release her when she's ready so that's what we did so we we called the proper authorities to make sure that we weren't doing anything illegal or you know whatever so okay hummingbirds the and they were Hummingbirds are very special. Okay, so, so, wow. Okay. Do you know so what hummingbirds can, symbolize? Uh, tell me. They remind you to enjoy the simple things in life. Wow. Because you notice that when you, when you see a hummingbird, you stop. There's this yeah. awe and this wonder about them that really does yes. literally make you stop in your tracks and go, oh. Like and just take this animal in, and, and that's people, what he did for me. People go their whole lives and never see yeah. a hummingbird, and never even see one. And you have not had not two, not two experiences where you held them in your hand, where they where where a wild one actually let me hold him in his hand and flew away. I thought he was. I told you, I thought he was dead. I thought he was injured. So I was like, yeah. no way. But my dog no, were around. I to make sure time, he was right? safe. Was sleeping hopped on my hand and looked at me and I went, oh my God, and then flew away. So I couldn't yeah. believe that it had offered me this sort of privilege. And then now this experience, and this, this yeah. girl was like landing on my shoulder, landing in my hair, you know, just hanging out what? with me the whole time. It that's, was insane. Okay, the other, the other thing that about um, hummingbirds and also there's other, there's other birds, um, the peacocks, in, they contain in their feathers uh, something that is... Um, 
unfathomable, which is like the full spectrum of of uh, rainbow, the full the full rainbow spectrum of light is represented in their feathers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're iridescent. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's something that is like, a you know, why do they have that? You know, what is that yeah. all about? Is, is that what is, is that, that about? It's not camouflage. You know, like no. what, 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 it, it seems like there's something very um, important that that we're missing about the fact that that that's embedded in their feathers, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Nature, so, all the mystery. Nature is so, we don't know shit. You know, we just we don't. don't. Like we go about our daily uh, lives and we, we pass these, <coughs> these design miracles just created by design perfectly for whatever their purpose is here. And I think as human beings, not to get too deep, but, I think that's our lesson. Like, ultimately, we're here, and we're sort of created spectacularly, and we're all trying to find, like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, what am I, what was I uh, created for by design to do in this life? And that's what nature teaches me, personally. I think, you've, I think you're, you're very much on the right path because you have these incredible experiences. And, I mean, I'm, I'm in my backyard, and, and I have found it um, – I was doing this even before the lockdown, um, right. but I've made like a tradition where I find it very meditative. I wake up very, every morning, I cut Ooh. up uh, some bread and stuff for the, uh, you know, the birds, the birds in my yeah. backyard, and mm. I and I put down the food and I feed the birds and the squirrels and stuff, and and I'm and I'm uh. this close to having one of those robins. Like eat, oh, yeah. eat out of my yeah. hand, out of your hand, and they will. Right they now, will. once the right, trust is right there. Now, as I'm putting, you know, as I start making the toast in the morning, I open up the door just a crack, so I get the smells going, and then like those robins, there's two. I'm sure there are a couple. You know, they they kind of start poking and looking around, going, "Is he making breakfast? Oh. All right, he's making <laughs> breakfast." And, uh, breakfast is served. Record is served, and I can, and and I swear to God, I talk to them. I, I am. I walk out. They respond to you? me. I put the I put but the Dad, bread down the piece. They do. I put the bread down the pieces of bread, and the robins will take their their take a you know a certain, you know they they keep their distance until I look up at the uh, I look up at them and I look at the two of the robins and I go, hey fellas, go get it, you know, or, and then and that's when they go. I know it's. Well, okay. Well, okay. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit of a crazy story. Now that you brought up, okay, you know, communicating with animals, because this is just my life, right? So I get that. You know how it is being on a run of a movie, especially if you're a lead. It is, it is so exhausting in every way. I mean, adrenals, like every, everything. Like you just, when you're done, you're like, oh my god, I have to recover. You have to recover. You have to like get all your systems back working properly because you're just done. And so for me, I was in every frame of this movie, um, and I just, you know, right. I, I was so tired when I got home. I was like, oh, God. And the lockdown was in place, and I was like, wow, that's weirdly convenient because, God, I need to do nothing for, like, a few weeks. And so I, I'm walking through my house, like, oh, my house, my house. And my house is so long. And I'm, I'm walking by a book uh, shelf, and I, I see one of my books, and it's an animal communication book. And I have read so many books on animal communication because as 
I, I probably told you before, I have really special connections with my dogs. We have this understanding. I had a German shepherd who I lost two years ago who I used to train without even speaking to him. So I used to telepathically tell him what I needed and he would do it from a distance. So it was really just a very special connection. Anyway, so I pulled this book out because I've now adopted this new, last year I adopted a German shepherd after I lost my other one. A year and a half later, I adopted this eight-month-old German shepherd named Romeo. And on the cover of this book is a German Shepherd that looks just like Romeo. And I went, oh, how beautiful. And I thought to myself, I'm going to sleep for a week, and then I'm going to get back into this. This is something I really want to get back into. I said to myself, in my spirit. And two days later, I get a call from a woman who's like a friend. She's a friend of my MD. And she's just this amazing spiritual woman, and she's very special. She's very gifted with animals and people. And she just, she's a, she's a good, great help to me, this woman. She's, she's very special. So we're on the phone and she had done, you know, my friend is going through an awful divorce and she was kind of helping her out, kind of reading for her and, you know, kind of giving her some support during this very tough emotional time. And I got on the phone with her afterwards. And, and the first thing I said to her was, hey, Sharon, are you, are you okay? Are you, you must be tired. You've been working all day, you know, helping people, reading for them. You know, it's exhausting when you, when you give a lot, right? It, it depletes you. And this woman's a giver. So I said, you know, are, are you okay? Are you tired? I can talk to you another day. Like we don't have to. She said, no, you know, mostly. She said, yes, it's been very busy. You're quite right. Thank you for asking. But um, yeah. I actually, I'm one of the reasons I'm really tired is I am involved in this nine-day animal communication intensive. Whoa. And I went, what? And she goes, is that resonating for you? I said, Sharon, you know my animal. I said, that is it resonating? I think you don't understand. I've read like every book you can think of on this. Like I, you know, and she said, do you know a a woman named Joan Ranquette? She's been a communicator for about 30 years. And I said, I've read every one of her books. In fact, I pulled her book off my bookshelf two days ago and I put it out on the table because I wanted to get back to it. And she goes, oh, you've got to be kidding. I said, no. And she said, Maggie, we just started today. You've got, you have to jump into this intensive. Let me call her and see if there's room for you. And as luck would have it, Joan was Crazy. like, I would love to have you. So I jump into, you know, three days after coming back from Romania and uh, London, into this nine-day animal mm-hmm. communication intensive, learning all about telepathy with animals. And... I swear to God, Dan, I was right at home. Like, it was everything that I ever wanted to do. And it was a group of, like, 40 women, and we were on Zoom. And the first day I got on this intensive, Joan says to the group, well, Maggie, you missed yesterday, so you're going to work with another one of my instructors. Her name is Carrie and her two dogs today. And I went, oh, cool, how exciting, right? One-on-one with this other instructor. And so, and she says, Carrie, you're going to work with Maggie today. And she said, you'll see, she's advanced. And I was like, Whoa. what the hell is she talking, what is she talking about? Like, I've, literally, I've never met this woman. I talked to her once on the phone. And she's telling a teacher that I'm advanced. That doesn't make any sense to me. So we, we huh. jump off and go to a, a breakout room, Carrie and I. And she says, well, Joan's already briefed me on you. I know you know what you're doing. I go, no, no, no. No, no, Carrie, I don't know what I'm doing. No, I've never done this before. Like, what? no. And she goes, oh, well, I spoke to Joan, and she said, and I was like, uh, what? And she goes, okay, well, we're going to start with my dog, Wiley, who I rescued four months ago, and we're going to do a meditation, and we're going to get into it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean I'm going to work with Wiley? 
So she takes me through this five-minute meditation. I sort of ground my feet, go up through my body. Anything I'm feeling in my body, I let go. Any thoughts I'm having, I let go. And once I kind of got into this place, Dan, I I had my eyes closed. I sort of entered this gray room where there were three walls, two walls on each side, one in front of me. I was the fourth wall. And I'm in this room, and all these thoughts, just, just these things just start coming to my head. So I just start writing on my legal pad and I got to like a so hold on, so you're, you're, in a, you're in a, you're in a physical gray room or you're in a gray room in, that you're seeing in your head in my head, in my head, in my meditation. Okay. I sort of went to this room. Wow. It was a very neutral color. It was gray. Wow. And I just, all these thoughts just started coming in and she said, don't be afraid of them. Just write everything down that you're, even if it sounds completely crazy, just write it down because I'm as, owner and I will confirm to you whether you're right or not. So earlier that morning, before I had even gone into the Zoom call, I had gotten this image of a bowl, you know, those stainless steel bowls that dogs eat out of, drink out of, which that black, that rubber, some of them have a rubber coating on the bottom so that when the dogs drink or eat, it doesn't slide. And I got this really strong image of this water bowl with water in it, with a black sort of rubber on the bottom non-slip bowl and I was like I don't, I don't know what that image is no clue and um, but I was like whatever get on the call the whole thing happens I do this reading on this dog no idea what I'm doing writing down everything that comes into my my head and we start she's like okay do you want to start I'm like oh my god I'm terrified I'm t- I'm talking to the owner of this animal so if I just start feeling shit that is so stupid, she's going to laugh at me. Obviously, she's going to be like, well, that has nothing to do with my dog, but interesting. So she said, well, give me his essence and favorite things, because that's what animals will bring up first. I said, Carrie, you're going to think this is so crazy, but I, red and black, okay? Red and black came in very strong. I mean, it was very clear, and right after red and black came in this image of a water bowl, and this image came in earlier today. So this animal had already tuned into me earlier. And giving me this image. I guess, I don't know, knowing we were going to talk, I don't know. And I said, so red and black, hmm. I don't know what that means. But as far as favorite things go, it, it's red and black and it's this bowl. And what he's indicating to me about the bowl is that water is one of those very, very incredible pleasures that gives him a lot of joy. The fact that he has water at his disposal at any point. And she said, well, Maggie, this dog's not from a rescue or not from a – this dog was found on the street, completely emaciated, so dehydrated that he had to be on fluids oh. for oh. So there was no water available to this dog. So that ah. would make a lot of sense for this dog, that just showing you a water, bo- a water bowl full of water, like this is my joy. Like I have – anytime I want, I have this water. And then she said red and black are the colors of their leashes. My other dog has a black one, and she has a red one. And that's, wow. you know, we go out, and that's fun for them or whatever. And, wow. um, and I went on and on to read this dog, and it was just, the dog showed me what her yard looked like, what the fence looked like. Exactly. Whoa. It's chain-linked. It's chain-linked. It's got, you know, those green things that they weave through cha- chain-links so you can't see through it? Yes. I said, that's the fence. And he says he can't see through it. She said, that's the fence. Exactly. And no, they can't see through the fence. But when he hears it's things me. on the other side that he can't see, they make him very anxious. He's very anxious at the fence line. She said, absolutely. I would, I would, I would even argue that he is so anxious that he, there's aggression. 
uh, and we went on and on and on. Again, it was so, it was the most insane thing. And then at the end of the read, we went through all these things. I said, here's the crazy thing I waited to say because I didn't want you to think that I was an idiot <laughs> or, or an asshole for bringing up something that would make no sense to you. But he showed me helicopter propellers, like whirling super fast and indicated that he sees danger like this all around him. And that when he feels that way, he escalates really, really quickly. But it was specifically a helicopter propeller. And she said, Maggie, Joan calls him the helicopter dog. So why? (laughs) Because for that exact reason, when he gets anxious, and he feels he has no control, he escalates really quickly, and it's very hard to get him back. You know when you shut oh, a helicopter off, you have to wait till the propeller stops to leave because it's right. so dangerous, right? It's like it, it takes Holy them a while shit. to cool down. So that was the name she gave to him, the helicopter dog. And wow. that's what he told me. So it, it was so through the nine days, I read about seven dogs, one cat, uh, a macaw, and two gibbons. And you read all yeah. of them. You read all of them perfectly. I mean, I read them to their owners, or some of them were at wildlife rescues, so their keepers, the people who who knew them very specifically. One of them, um, one of the the you Gibbons, could, you know, talked about this orange probably, thing that he gets every day. And he was like, "Yeah, his find, favorite thing is papaya." You probably have like a second job or fifth job because you're you have so you wear so many hats. But you you probably have you probably have another side job helping owners find their pets. Well, this is another one one day during the nine day intensive, it was about exactly that, finding lost animals. And yeah. Mrs. Jones has been very successful in doing that. And um uh, she hasn't done it in years because I guess she had lost a cat that for some reason she couldn't find. Even with all her skill, it didn't happen. And she, I think she was so hurt by that that she never went back to finding lost animals because she's still mm. kind of recovering from that experience. But um, communicators can be very successful. I had a friend uh, named Deb who helped me find – I was fostering these kittens who uh, – I was filming this show called Designated Survivor in Canada, and – right when winter would hit, like November, December, when it started to get cold and we knew it was going to be very cold, we would sort of scour the streets for, like, uh, kittens, you know, because they'll they'll die. The minute it dips, they'll die. So we would take them in, and my my trailer kind of turned into, like, an animal hospital. And my costume designer and all the girls on the show were all animal lovers and very animal-centric. So we would all take turns, like, nursing and feeding, and everybody, like, put the work in, even though we were making this show. And so... I decided to rehome these guys and I drove them down to New York from Toronto because they had homes. And um, we were at my house one night and it was the dead of winter. And the only thing I had done was took in the trash out. Otherwise I was in the house and this one kitten was fucking missing. And I was like, no, like we nurse these kittens are super sick. I get in New York. This kitten is going to a holistic vet. I mean, he's going to have the best life ever. And I fucking lost the cat. Like, how is that possible? So I'm beating myself up. I'm so upset. I call my vet. His wife comes over. My landscaper comes over. I mean, everyone I could like pull at 11 o'clock at night to come to my house came. We're all looking for this cat. We can't find him. And I'm like, shit, if that cat got out, he's going to die. There's just no question. He's going to die. I mean, it is freezing cold outside. I'm like, please, God, please tell me to go outside. So I call Deb. I'm like, Deb, 
I need your help, man. I can't find this kitten. So she's like, okay, give me a minute. And she sort of tunes into this kitten. She says, you know, he's, he's not, he's around Maggie. He's um, in a place. uh, It's very dark and there are levels. Do you have stairs? Is there any way where like he could be at the bottom of stairs? So he shows me levels, but he's at the bottom of the levels and it's dark. And I said, God, I have so many stairs. And we're all, we're looking at all the stairs. And we're, but there's stairs outside too. Deb, is he outside? So she says, you know, he, he indicates that he knows what cold is, but that he's not feeling cold right now. So I don't think he is outside, Maggie. And I'm like, oh, God, please, thank you. Oh, God. But I looked outside anyway in a panic to go back in the house. Whoa. And she says, this is what I can tell you. I don't know. He's, he's, there, are, there are levels, and it's very dark. So we look for an hour and a half, nothing. I'm like, I'm just beside myself. I hear this. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, he's in the house. So we're all looking. When I was cooking dinner, I have a pantry, that door that opens, and there are these shelves that pull out, and then they push back in. But it's all levels, right? He had climbed into the bottom level where all the sugars were and, like, curled up and fell asleep. And the door was closed, so it was pitch dark in there, and he was at the bottom of all of these shelves. So she was exactly right, bang on. And the last time I walked my dog, she also helped me find my dog. So they can be very effective, incredibly effective with finding. But one of the things that a communicator can't do when you do lose an animal is they have to also be very effective in calming the owner down so that they can properly – because, you know, animals are very tied to their owners. And so if you're in a panic and you're freaking out and you're sending this energy of, of complete terror and panic and this animal feels it, it, it can be hard to communicate with them because they're so frazzled. Isn't that crazy? Totally. Yeah, no, yeah. it makes total sense. Um, because, yeah, you're uh, – okay, so two things. I <laughs> want to uh, get – you know who Ryan Hurst is? I've had him on the show a couple of times. He plays uh, Beta on the walk on the Walking Dead. Okay, so okay, okay, yes, uh, and yes, I know who it is. I'm really bad with names. Okay, yeah, he he was on the show, and he has like, um, so he has a lot of dogs. Like he he okay. just has tons of dogs, and he was talking about. You should listen to that episode if you haven't. I'm there. going to um, the first one with him, where he gets into. Um, he met he met this guy uh, who basically is talking about what you were talking about, talking telepathic. Like he basically, this guy came over to his house, and he was like, "Hey, I just got a new dog." Ryan was like, "I just got a new dog, and I'm having trouble training him, and I'm usually good with dogs." And and this 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 man comes over to Ryan's house and doesn't say a word to any of the dogs, just basically just does hand signals and and totally trained the dog like that. And Ryan was like, how the fuck did you do that? And you have to, you know, teach me. And I'm wondering if if this guy is, because he's had all these disciples, and so I wonder if uh, he's part of this whole telepathic uh, crew. Um, they, You know, a lot of them know each other, so I'm sure yeah. there's, but, you know, what's really fascinating, I think sort of for your listeners to understand too, is that, Telepathic communication, right, um, is also, if you can do this with animals, you can also do it with people who um, have right. lost the ability to speak or people who are in comas, oh. 
people who yeah people who are unable to verbally communicate. You can also tune in to people who need to communicate but but can't. Yeah. So it's a real gift. It's a real gift. And I mean, even when you're thinking about someone like intensely, and they call you, you know, like it's so weird. I was thinking that's not a mistake. You know, like telepathically, you are right. sending them messages that, that your thoughts are with them, and then they think of you, and then that, that's what it is. That's what telepathy is, right? It's actually not that complicated. This is actually a side question because it just popped into yeah. my head, but I'm, I'm actually yes, curious. Please. What do you did you watch the whole Did you watch the whole Tiger King thing? You you know you know it because I actually am supporting a federal bill right now going into, again going into um, once this all this COVID stuff is over, um, yeah. we'll be going into and it's a federal bill so it's a national bill about about ownership of these of these big cats so it was it is obviously in my interest to watch it it was it was definitely super strange and 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 entertaining but what a dark world huh yeah yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like they, it's like, um, I don't, I, they were, everyone was such a character and each oh one of them, each one of them had a, just a, mm-hmm. so many skeletons in their closets. Man. Oh yeah. It was just, yeah. it was, anyway, I don't even want to spend too much time on that, but I'm just so curious just as an animal lover, what you thought about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're on it. Well, okay. So, uh, well, yeah. he, he, we're on it. We're on it. Our bill, you know, we don't believe that you should be able to own these animals anyway. And one of the things is, too, is that it is a public safety issue, obviously. I mean, these animals get out all the time, you know, and it's well documented. But, but the other thing, coming from an animal lover perspective, rights person, um, you know, as you saw in that documentary, and one thing that's important to understand about these, about these people is that, you know, they, anyone can tout love, right? I mean, I, I work in child abuse and prevention in the United States, too, and, and I've heard abusers for many years all say, well, I love, I love kids, or I love my child, or I love, I love children, and the, the, the reason I do what I do is out of love. And it's like, well, it's an interesting definition of love. But, again, even with this situation, it's like define love, right? Like love means that you're not getting anything out of the situation, right? Love is, love is a, the, the purest emotion, right? Love is something that... Um, it, it's not a, it's not a give and take. Love is, love is just about giving, right? And so these people are, are benefiting from these animals. And the truth is that, you know, they're benefiting greatly from these animals, not only financially, but they also, you know, that guy, that doc idiot with the ponytail, um, yeah. you know, the way he, the way he, the way he sort of brings these women in, you know, who are like either attractive or semi-attractive and then makes them get surgery to make them even more attractive and, those women obviously all have their own issues, you know, which is why they put themselves in that situation. But they also want to be near the animals. The animals are are in attraction. These men know that these animals will bring people in, right? Like not only to make them money, but they'll they'll keep people close to them because they can't keep people themselves. They need the animals to be the draw, and that's never okay, right? That's it's it's right. actually just it's the opposite of love, is what it is. And so you can tout love all day long, but, you know, these are, these are wild creatures and they deserve to be wild. I loved that hummingbird, which is why I opened the door this morning and that hummingbird left pretty quickly, right? That's love because you're, you're here by design to live in a wild state. And I have to give you that because love equals freedom. Love is not what I gain from you. Love is what you're here to do and me allowing you to do that. 
So that brings me to my next thing, which I'm I'm pretty convinced that you are a reincarnated saint. Now, <laughs> now I say that <laughs> pre- uh, uh, as a preface to a story that I'd like you to tell that you told over dinner once, the last okay. time I, I think I saw you, um, which was, Okay, so you, I remember, I can't, I can't remember where, where it was, but you were traveling to some Asian countries and you were doing a tour and they did this thing. And you, and you have had um, neck problems and you recently had a surgery that you bounced back from like a fucking champ. Yeah, and yeah I have. That you had no fear over, which is insane, and which is amazing. And you went to this Asian country and there's this tradition of, putting the monks uh, or, you know, I know I'm butchering this, but they put uh, a wreath over your neck as a tradition, but this one guy didn't do it for what reason? You tell the story. Okay. So that was actually, you know what, that was actually Tibet. That was, that was pre-surgery. And so, uh, but yes, I did have spine surgery and I did fly six days later, which, you know what, it's not smart, but I was speaking at a women's conference to empower Asian women you know, in the, in the era of me too, to stand up for themselves. And so to me, that was important enough to travel at a time where I should know, you know, cause I, I thought that was important. The first time that there would, there was ever a conference about, um, you know, women's rights, you know, in that, in that way, uh, in Asia. So it was, it was so cool. It was really, really cool. But anyway, um, so I was in Tibet. I had gone to Tibet with a couple of friends. One was a black, black cat, uh, Tibetan, um, monk practitioner and another was a photographer friend of mine and another was a, a stylist friend of mine one of my best friends so it's all men and me and we go to this um and there's there's a reason i'm saying that but there uh we go to the, we go to tibet and i had been called to go to tibet but i didn't know why it was one of those places that was incredibly fascinating but when you go to tibet the chinese government mandates that you have to have a chinese tour guide which is like a, it's a, they call them a tour guide but they're really there to make sure that you don't you know, the, the Dalai Lama doesn't come up, that there's no support of him, that you're not carrying, you know, books that have his text in them and stuff. It's, it's very, very strictly anti-Dalai Lama. So, you know, so we go there and I, I got this tour guide who was a woman and she was very nice. And we kind of went to all the monasteries. And I, every day I would go to the Joka Monastery, which is, um, the monastery is about 1,500 years old. Uh, it, was the, it was the first uh, gift from the first king of Tibet to the people. And it's still standing and it's still operating, which is so insane, right? There's nothing in the U.S. that's 1,500 years old that's still operating. Um, but uh, so I would go there every hey, day. Hey, and hey. It was, hey, hey, hey. Hey, You're like, what? Pause the story for a second. It's 8 o'clock sure. here in the U.K. and they're they're clapping for the uh, oh, NHS. Or NH- oh, you want You want to clap with me? Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Let's do it. I'll put you on speaker. Let's do it. Okay. Ow! Woo! Yeah! Yeah! Ow, 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 ow! <laughs> yeah! Thank you! Thank you! <laughs> Thank you! <laughs> so incredible. In New York, it's 7 o'clock. Yeah, uh, they. I, I don't know. They. It's. It's. I think they do it every other week or something. Or. Um, oh, so it's in, funny. In, I don't know. In, in, New, in New York or London, do they do it every other week? 
in the UK, they've been doing it at eight o'clock. I think every other every two weeks or something. Oh, that's cool. That's so it's cool. It's nice. I I really I like it. it. Hell yeah. I mean, this, this okay. So this this lockdown, there's certain things about it that are lovely. Obviously, mm-hmm. getting back yeah. to the simpler things um, and appreciating okay. um, life. So okay, your so your Tibetan story. So. You know, because I had felt that I had been called to be there, I felt right at home. I mean, I really did. Like, in my cells, I sort of felt like I had it, it had been a long time coming, let's put it that way. And so there were two things, very strange things that happened. Uh, one of the first gifts once when the monastery was built 1,500 years ago was a statue of Kuan Yin, who's the compassion Buddha, right, And or the compassion deity. And she's she sat behind two sort of locked panes of glass and they would pray to her every day. And I stood there and I remember looking at her and just feeling a very out of body experience. And, and this young monk comes up to me and he says, do you want to go inside? And I was like, yeah, like behind the glass. Yeah. So to my surprise, he opens both panes of glass, which was insane. And I, I was able to stand in front of her, just stand in front of her. And I just, I just felt so overwhelmed and I just had tears in my eyes. I didn't know what was really happening. And one of her one of her hands sort of reaches up, and it's an open palm. And there was a palm. Her palm had a, a glass prayer beads. I've never seen glass prayer beads uh, in her hand. And he took them out of her hand, and he put them in my hand. And he said, "I think these are for you." Whoa! And I was like, "Oh no! I, what? What do you mean?" And he said no more and walked away. And he locked her back up and we walked out. And I, I was sitting here with this, this beautiful glass thing in my hand. So that was one of the first things that happened. And then, huh. and then in the monastery, people bring their prayers and pilgrims, like they travel many, many, many days, weeks to get to this monastery. It's so sacred. And they, they write their prayers down on these like sort of gold leaf papers and then they melt them. And then what they do daily is they then paint these wishes and prayers onto the body of this enormous Buddha in the, in the monastery. And that, that allows the prayers to be absorbed or, you know, whatever their belief. Right. And, uh, I was watching one day and it's all men and I was the only woman there. And the senior monk reached out to me and hands me the paintbrush and he says, please. And I was able to paint some of the prayers onto the body as, as not a holy person. And when we walked out, my black, black cap Tibetan Buddhist monk friend said, I have never seen them let a woman do that. Huh. That's the first time. And I said, Henry, come on, that's ridiculous. He said, no, I've never seen it. I'm telling you, that's the first time I've seen that. And I, I'm here every month and have oh, been a Buddhist shit. for many years. So there's two other things short. Uh, the Potala Palace is a big palace in, in uh, Lhasa where all of the uh, Dalai Lamas are buried. They're all buried there. They're in stupas that are jeweled with precious stones, semi-precious stones. It, it, it is extraordinary to see. And they're buried sitting up, uh, sitting in that lotus um, position. And so the stupa is shaped like the lotus position as well. And everyone is buried there except for the fifth, I think, and the fifth Dalai Lama went missing. They never found him. And I think he's the only one that's not buried there. And one more for, for some other reason. But for whatever reason, the 13th Dalai Lama which I don't even know what the significance of the 13th Dalai Lama is, but he was not on view for people. And they had mentioned this to me, and I said, oh, why? And they said, well, he's just not. And they didn't explain it. 
And as we're leaving the palace, one of the security guards turns to me and says, do you want to see the 13th Dalai Lama? And I said, well, of, of course I do. And he said, I'll take you. And Henry, my Tibetan Buddhist monk friend, goes, oh, this is crazy. And he's just shaking his head. We go down like four stories of like rickety staircase into the darkest, most cavernous basement. I don't know what, where we were with candles. And the candles sort of light up the stupa and I look up at it and I just burst into tears and I can't stop crying. And I'm crying like someone died. I am crying like convulsing, you know, that kind of crying where it's like, it's so bitter and sad. I had no clue why I was crying. We leave. I get myself together and I look at it and no one thinks this is weird. No one's saying what happened. Are you okay? Nothing. They don't say a word to me. And I said, Henry, what was that? And he just looked at me. My friend, my own friend looked at me. He said nothing. Um, so all this is going on. I don't know what the hell. I stayed in uh, probably lost off for like five days. So we're leaving. And as we leave, there's a small monastery uh, at the base, uh, sort of like near the airport, the base of this mountain that we wanted to stop and make a donation to before we left. And in Tibet, every time if you're a visitor and they're welcoming you, they give you a white scarf. They put a white scarf over your head and you wear it around your neck. And so by the time you leave Tibet, you've got like 20 white scarves. And so I'd been given white scarves all throughout the trip and it was really beautiful and I had them all with me. So we stopped at this tiny monastery and they're in prayer time. So we said, oh, it's okay. We'll leave the donation. We'll leave. We don't want to bother them. And the abbot of the monastery says, no, 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 don't leave. Just, just wait. And so we wait, and as the monks are filing out, they have their white scarves. They know there's a visitor. And um, I'm at the end of the line of my three guy friends, and they go and they give the scarf to each person. And when they came to me, they stopped, and they handed me my scarf. And I just went, oh, thank you. And I took it from them with my hand and put it over my head myself and walked out and figured that I was a woman, and they just didn't want to touch a woman or whatever it was. And no big deal. So I'm walking to the car, and my tour guide walks up to me, and she says, Maggie, do you know why they didn't put the scarf around your head? She said, no. I mean, it was, it was a little weird because other people had, but I, yeah, I just figured <laughs> probably it's because I'm a woman and they didn't want to whatever. And she, she laughed, and she looked at me, and she said, they didn't put the scarf over your head because she didn't know either. So she asked. She went over to them and said, hey, can I, can I ask you a question? That was interesting. Why didn't you put the scarf over her head? And she said, they told me that they're not allowed to, cr- to pass the crown of someone's head who is above them, spiritually. And I just stood there like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And she said, that's what they said. And I said, that's impossible. And she laughed again. She said, no, it's not. And just kind of walked away. Like, you know, it's like, you know those movies when somebody, like, comes up and says something really profound to you and then they just leave? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the awesome stranger or, like, the wise man or whatever. And then all of a sudden they're just gone. That was kind of like, like what happened Matrix. on that whole trip. Like the Matrix. Know thyself. And know thyself, Neo. Know, thy, know thyself. And I, I left that trip just not even understanding what happened. And then... And, and as I as I said to you later, I don't know if I told you this. I had to do a movie in Vancouver after that, and I hired this. I yeah. hired, it's so funny. I hired this assistant who is a, like a devout Buddhist because I'm vegetarian, and I just thought he could, would get my food right. 
I thought, yeah. oh, he'll know what I eat because we eat the same way, right? And he was really nice. And I thought, yeah, I'll definitely hire this guy. So we're in the car, and I'm telling him this vet story. I said, OJ, isn't that wild? Isn't that crazy that all this happened? And he, he was sitting in the front seat, and he turns around and looks at me, and he goes, no. And I said, how is it not crazy? He goes, Maggie, everybody knows. I'm like, what all? And then I start laughing and go, what are, who's everybody? He said, there's a very, very famous fortune teller in China who does the fortunes of uh, different people who are known in the public eye, you know, every Chinese New Year. Just to, It's a fun thing he does, and they print it in the newspapers. And for as many years as I know, before I knew you, this guy would always read you, and he would always say that this person was a very high-level spiritual person in her past lives and that she's back here now to get back to that place. He's like, I've heard it a million times about you. So, no, it's not weird. What? That's the story. And it's, it's insane. And people are going to hear it and go, that is the stupidest thing. But I, I thought it was the stupidest thing, too. <laughs> okay, but hold on. We think about ourselves. and We think about ourselves and, you know, like our everyday struggles and this and that. And, you, and, and I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't tend to think that I'm special in any way. I'm just who I am. I, there's no, that's the whole thing. I mean, it's, never whole crossed, thing. it's never crossed my mind. That I that I had something special that I could offer and do it really hasn't Dan like I've just never been that person. Okay, here's the so kicker. Here's the kicker. Please do explain. The neck injury. So the oh. the person the the empress or the whoever they're associating you with your reincarnated sainthood had the neck injury as well, correct? Yes, something like that. Yes, she did. That's right. That's right. She was she was beheaded. Something like that. Yeah, there was, there was she was yeah, yeah, she was that. Yeah. Yeah. And you were born with this <laughs> wild vertebrae um disconnection in yes. your neck where doctors yep. are like, "How the fuck are you even walking?" let alone being an yep. action star. Yep, okay. that's exactly right. Miracle number, I just got diagnosed miracle, with it. Miracle number 57. So now, you have, <laughs> so now you have it fused. You have the surgery. You have your neck fused back, right? And how did that well, turn actually, out? That turned out. No, what actually what happened. So it's called an ozodontoidium, okay? They call it right. an oz in the medical world. And what it means is that my C1 and my C2 vertebrae, so you have to remember your C1 is like that vertebrae that like your head sits on. Like, it's holding your head up, right? And it's connected to your C2. And then there's this post that goes up between the C1 and C2. And then you three, four, five, right? So I had an injury from all the years of doing action movies um, in my C5, C6, right? They were um, – that my, my, um, my vertebrae was completely worn out. It was just gone. The disc was just gone. Sorry, not the vertebrae. The disc was gone between the vertebrae. And so I had a lot of pain. And they were like, well, yeah, your, your disc is gone. You're going to need an artificial disc. And I was like, oh, fun. But as I go in to find out what this pain is, they find out that there's something weird going on in my C1 and C2. I'm like, shit, so I got to go back for this other, um, this other um, MRI because no one ever does an MRI above the C2 because no one has this injury. They wouldn't even think to do it. So I had to go in and do an MRI that was higher to see what the hell was going on with my head being connected to my spine. And they find out that um, my C1 and C2 are literally not connected. 
My C1 is not even on my C2. It is on the other side of my neck, and it's not even, doesn't even have a relationship with the rest of my spine. And that's the, that's the thing that's holding your head up. And they're like, how the hell are you functioning in this world without your head being held up by your C1? And so I went to many, sur- yeah, so I went to all these surgeons who were like, what the fuck? So I finally go to this very famous Wilbur Knight. Funnily enough, when I was on the movie, Sam Jackson was like asking me who my doctor was. So I told him I did the surgery. And I told him who the doctor was, this guy, Dr. Bray. And he goes, oh, he's like, I, three surgeries, girl, three surgeries from Dr. Bray. I was like, oh, my God, you had three surgeries from Dr. Bray? So we had, and we had the same surgeon. It was hilarious. So he's obviously very well known. and A lot of people go to him, professional athletes, you know, actors, whoever. And I go to this guy, and he says, listen, all I can say is, for the last 20 years, you've been working at this super elevated level, and you've been okay. And I think that when somebody's body adjusts enough to a level where they are functioning with a dysfunction, that we leave it and let your body just tell us what to do and how to be smart. And if there's ever a day where you're having trouble with it, we'll fix it. But, Maggie, you're not having any trouble with this. Huh. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, we're going to leave it. We're going to give you an artificial disc in your C5, C6, and then we're going to leave the rest. So I'm like a walking, beheaded person. You're you're a miracle. (laughs) They call it, wait for it, Dan, they call this condition a medical anomaly. I had said it to other doctors who are not like spine surgeons and stuff, and they, they had no idea what it was. Do you know what an osmodontoidium is? Nope. What the hell is that? And I've had to explain it to actual doctors. Yeah. Holy it's shit. like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, 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 okay. 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 <laughs> so I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm building this case for you to actually, you know, be the uh, second coming of this saint, Maggie. That would, you know what, that would, that would be, that would actually be a nice little, um, Re- relief from Hollywood. <laughs> nice second chapter. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what my friend called me the other day? She called me Doctor Q Little. What did she called me? <laughs> she said yeah, exactly. you're gonna have to like, like create like a, a service for people where they know, you know, where to go to help their animals, and, and you gotta call it Doctor Q Little. I'm like, uh, I think I have to do that. Because all I really want to do is help, right? So when I was on this nine-day intensive Zoom call, all these amazing gifted women who are, obviously, they're going into the, the business of communication. They're helping people find their, you know, there's all this stuff. And I remember thinking, you know, when I first got on, everybody was like, tell us why you're here and what you want to do with this. And I, I remember thinking, like, oh, God, I didn't think about it. I just should have, it was my turn. And I said, oh, I, I, I just want to help. Like, if I have any kind of skill, I mean, and I don't know that I do, I just, I just want to help. That's all I want to do. I don't want to turn into a business. I don't want to make money off of it. I just want to help people who are having trouble. That's it. And that's what I will do. I don't. Yeah. So it's interesting. It is interesting because on Mm -hmm. that same, on that same tip, just going on down that line of, of thinking, um, I'm about to get into some some intense shit. Are you, are you ready? You know it. My middle okay. name. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that. Uh, Intense so. shit. Yeah, that's my my given middle name. <laughs> Where is he? Uh, What's going on? Oh, we're just uh, taking the puppies out for their pee-pee. Okay. While, oh. while we get into some intense shit. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, you guys, you guys may literally be getting into some intense shit there. Right. With the puppies. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Okay. Nothing makes yeah. the mom happier when their child shits, I'm telling you. It's a good day. Okay. Okay. Okay, little baby. Okay. <laughs> so we were talking about doing Balls of Fury too. This this isn't the That's intense right. part. This this is not. So okay, good. I was like, wow, is that is is it? <laughs> and that's coming along well. I have a good script, although. Okay. It's almost kind of weirdly prophetic in a way. When I was explaining oh. to you, when I was explaining to you the. The, the process, and this was, I don't know, we've been doing this for maybe like a year and a half or something. We've been, we've been kind yeah. of, or yeah, not a year, exactly. year we've been talking exactly. about it. And um, so the premise is that, that it's now, and you and I have a kid, and the kid's really good at ping pong, but you don't. And by the way, I like talking about this because I feel like if we talk about it, we'll, it'll we have manifest to have, yeah, yeah, it to make exactly, it, exactly. Make, exactly. make it happen more. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's it's now, and you've given up ping pong. You're like a you know a high level lawyer, and um, I am a fucking stay at home dad. I'm like fucking because we've like no more ping pong, no more ping pong. Anyway, yeah, so yeah, the, yeah. Kid, the kid is this this phenom. You know, she's an incredible. She's an just a, she's ten or whatever, and she's just an incredible fucking uh, ping pong player. Anyway, so. Yeah. Long story short, I go off and I start entering her into competitions, and she gets kidnapped, and she becomes part of an underground, you know, ping pong slavery ring who <laughs> tests new pharmaceuticals on the kids. Okay, that was like, I was like, yeah, that'll be the, that'll be like the nefarious, you know, the bad guy yeah. who's doing that yeah, with the guy. kids. And sure. you. <laughs> You said something to the effect of, uh, like, whoa, that's like, uh, you know, save the children, you know, like, like that's like, you know, do we want to put that into comedy? Do we want to? And, and I started right, thinking right. about that. And then, of course, you're, you are, you started telling me that you were um, a huge part of or a huge advocate. I don't, I don't know how, how deeply you are involved with um um, getting these kids out of, you know, human trafficking. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, do you want to, I mean, yeah, we just got real, yeah, we just got, we went well, from Balls of Fury 2 to really intense all to, of a sudden. To, yeah, to, to, well, you know, we did, it was funny. We did have that conversation. You were sort of like, there, you know, and then we kind of came up with the, the pharmaceutical testing, you know, to turn them into kind of like sort of super ping pong players, right? But it was like yeah. then we started to obviously get get into you know that the very real thing of you know kids kids being taken and trafficked and and, all, and this yeah. whole really really dark world, and it is um 
you know, I've been an animal activist for, for many, many years, obviously, and deal with all kinds of cruelty and all that. And, you know, and it's, it's not easy. And it's, it's, it's something you can definitely burn out on because you, you really start to lose faith in the world and people and the things that decisions people make. And it's really just, it's crazy. But I, I really never, um, I will say that I've never, ever been involved in advocating uh, for anyone or anything that has been as dark as advocating for the, the safety of children. This has been probably um, one of the hardest things that I've ever, ever had to face because the truth is as an activist or somebody who is involved in, you know, organizing um, what it is that I, I do, and I'll tell you in a second, you have to fully understand the reality of what is happening out there, right? You have to fully know uh, what's happening to these kids, what people are doing to them, where they're taking them, all this stuff. And it is, um, it is the, one of the most horrible, horrifying things that I've, I've ever, as I said, ever had to just know. Because, you know, on a, you know in comedy or like, you know, or whatever, you know, when, you, when you're like, you joke around with your friends and you're like, oh, you can't unsee that, you know, like lemon party, you know, like that kind of thing. Like you can't, you can't unsee certain things. And, and as an activist, you, you can't unknow certain things. You, you know that this is what the world is compromised of. You know that children are exploited. You know that there's a very dark web out there where things are traded and children are traded and images and things of them are traded and things that are happening to them are happening, right, every day. And so for me, I think um, it was the thing that sort of propelled me and threw me into this was um, was this kid, this case of this child, I guess he was six years old. This was like sort of two years ago, eight years earlier. Uh, I had read an article in the New York Times about this child who was, you know, six years old and tied to a chair and his mother and boyfriend had beaten him to death. Uh, to death, okay, to death. They killed a Jeez. child, right? And I remember that I couldn't even drive, couldn't get in my car. I couldn't, I was so messed up over this fact that I, I just, I just couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't function Dan. I was shaking. I was just, and then eight years passed and I had that really visceral reaction and eight years passed and I did nothing. I did nothing with that feeling. I felt disgusting. I was mad. I was all the things. And yet I did nothing. I was just mad. That's it. Stayed mad. And then two years ago, I was in my car listening to NPR, and I was on my way to go on a hike with the dogs. And as luck would have it, you know, had I gone a little later, a little earlier, I wouldn't have heard this, you know, this news story. It was about this kid, Gabriel Hernandez, who, in a similar situation, had an open case with child services because he was being abused at home. He was eight or nine, and um, he was tortured and killed by his mother and her, her then-boyfriend, and they've, they've since been charged and I think are life in prison or something like that. Uh, so they're, they've been put away, but it doesn't erase the fact that this child was killed and we knew he was being hurt and we did nothing about it, right? And social workers, you know, like I said, had an open file on him and everybody everybody knew. So that that story, I remember I got on that hike and I was standing on the top of the mountain and I just couldn't stop crying. And I remember this feeling happening again in me that happened eight years earlier. Um, but eight years earlier, I was just upset and did nothing. And I said, no more. I can't, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. I have to do, if I am here and I'm able-bodied, I'm going to advocate on, the, on behalf of these kids. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make it part of my life. This is going to be part of my 
my mission in life. And that was it. And I, I, I did. And, and weirdly, I made the statement. And then, and then later that week, I mean, I was introduced to all these different people. Later that day, I got an email from one of my business partners who said, hey, Mag, um, there's a guy doing great work with abused kids up in Idaho. And I contacted him. And then from, from there, I was introduced to Angelina Jolie's brother, uh, this guy, James Haven, who's a big advocate for children. And then from there, I was invited to this Child Abuse and Prevention Summit. And from there, I met everyone in the medical world, forensic doctors, uh, the CDC, Child Protective Services, former policemen, everyone you can think of who, who works and moves in the world of, uh, of child protection. And I went, oh, this is it. This, this is what I'm doing. And one of the things I decided I was going to focus on, there's so many areas you can focus on, so many areas that, that you know, we need help with. But one of the things that uh, happens is that when these children obviously are exploited or abused at a very young age, you know, they grow into very vulnerable adults or vulnerable teenagers. And so, you know, you really want to stop the abuse of the past and really try to figure this out as very young kids, how we can avoid this from happening. And, and uh, I teamed up with a group of guys. Some of them are former federal agents. Some of them are um, uh, former chief of police and who've worked in child protection for you know, anywhere from 20 to 35 years. And we basically have this group where they've created a technology that finds child predators who traffic, abuse, kill, you name it, uh, children on the Internet. And this technology, uh, which was created at UMass, um, can find a child predator within 60 seconds of him logging onto his IP address. And so this is one of the tools that we have in place. And one of the big efforts that I'm working on right now is trying to get this technology to every police force in the United States. Uh, there's about 18, I don't know if it's 16 or 18,000 um, police forces in the U.S., and only 4,000 of them have this or similar technology to help them find people who are abusing kids. And our goal, our mission in life is to get it to the rest of everybody else, get them trained, and get police really the tools that they need to protect kids. Because the truth is, if we're not protecting kids, we are not, we are not protecting society from every single issue that's happening once they become adults. So the CDC did this incredible presentation that changed my life, and they showed this graph of what happens to kids who are abused. And, Dan, if you saw it, you would not believe it. The, the moment of clarity that I had when I saw this, this chart was so staggering. I mean, it took me like two days to recover. I mean, it was sort of like they had child abuse and, and neglect at the center of this, and then the, the, the offshoot of that was everything from alcohol, alcoholism to, to drug abuse to opioid use to teen pregnancy to, to, to high school dropouts to murder to domestic abuse. I mean, you name it, we're talking anywhere in the 80th, 90th percentile, these are kids who came from an abusive situation. So if we're going to stop all of that, we need to stop it very early, which means that we as a community need to be watching out because we can't just depend on the police. We need our eyes open. We need to understand. We need to get nosy. If you feel something's happening and some, some kid is at risk or something is happening that you know is wrong, you have to say something. It's not about, you know, like, oh, well, I don't want to say anything. What if I'm wrong? Who cares if you're wrong? We all have to look out for each other's kids. It's not just about like this extension of ourselves. Well, I'll look out for my kid because he's my kid. Like, no, they're all our kids right? They all matter in a, in a really real way. And so this has been 
my new thing. I, I don't talk much about it. This is probably the first, the most I've ever talked about it because a lot of what we do uh, with this group of men is, um, I won't even say what the group is called because I, I don't know that we, we want a ton of people to know like what really what, what we're up to. But one of the things that we have to um, achieve is a little bit of um, anonymity because we don't want people who are involved in this to get wind of what we're doing to combat it so that they can get hold of, you know, get ahead of it. We don't want them getting ahead of it. So we keep our work very quiet. Gotcha. Yeah, so I mean, this is, okay, this is incredibly intriguing to me because, you know, I'm sure you're aware there's um, a rash of hashtags on Twitter recently, Save the Children being one of them, where you see these, uh, what's been going on um, with the child trafficking world, and you, you see mm-hmm. these horrific pictures, these horrific pictures, mm-hmm. um, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. And so, I mean, it's just this is now we now we take a little conspiratorial, um, you know, turn here where, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're Maggie, you're Maggie Q. <laughs> Are you aware? <laughs> Are you aware of the Q movement and what their whole, you know, philosophy is? No. I'm so excited. Wow. You don't know you what tell. you don't know what the Q movement is? Q and on? I've never really, heard of it. I'm 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 really bad with like social media and all that. Like, I'm the worst. I'm sort of like very tunnel focused your... on whatever I have. Yeah. Good. Please focus. you yeah. keep focusing on what you're focusing on. I'm yeah. but I'm now I'm very now I'm very intrigued to hear your opinion on this. Okay. 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 QAnon. Q. <laughs> now, <laughs> you got to take all this with a grain of salt. Um, okay. And this is a real thing. This is happening. Oh, yeah. This is huge. Okay. This is huge. Okay. okay. Now, whatever opinion you think my my opinion is this. I'll preface it with this that I I don't I don't know what's going on with with the Q movement. I don't know what's I I, I think that there's a lot of strange things going on right now with this lockdown. That it's not just okay. about a flu. Okay, I don't think it's just about a flu. Okay, sure. Okay. Um, now, <clears throat> what the Q movement is all about is that. Supposedly, there are in the military. There is an offshoot of military, um, high-level military, who okay. have access to high-level information, high-level technology, and they said, "You know what? Um, our we we want to take control back um, from um, basically battling the uh, the." the deep state, okay? Okay, okay. And um, now part of that is that they are backing Trump, all right? Now, whatever you feel okay. about that that person. <laughs> um, <what laughs> oh, they, wow, you're calling him a person. That's generous. Okay. Well, hey, you know, listen, that – Exactly. That's you know that that is yeah. that's yeah. the the common thing here. Whatever you want to think about that guy, 
whatever yeah. you know what the mainstream media is is saying about the guy what every headline i've ever read growing up about the guy indicates yeah. that he is a shyster okay sure and that, yeah, i mean yeah. and i'm and i'm pretty sure that he's that he's just out for himself and he's playing every angle now what q believes and the q anons are all of these people who um get this uh, leaked information from Q and they interpret it and they all believe that what is happening right now during this lockdown is that Donald Trump and the Q initiative <clears throat> are taking down the cabal. Okay. Okay. And that means um, rounding up um, all of the child traffickers, all of the pedophiles. Okay. Um, and that's part of uh, supposedly that's going on right now in, uh, you know, there's soldiers and underground tunnels saving all these children and they're destroying all of these tunnels and and that's that's a huge part of this movement, and that there are going to be something like these military tribunals soon, uh-huh. where we see all of these people, this this pyramid scheme of all of these people that were involved in this this child trafficking thing, all the mm-hmm. way up to the fucking top, hmm. um, and. It's all going to ex- be exposed for everybody on the on the uh, evening news, uh, supposedly very soon. That that's one of the things that's going on during this lockdown. That the reason that everybody is one of the reasons that everybody is now being forced to be locked in their houses is that, is that all of these military actions are, are taking place. What are your thoughts on hmm. that? I mean, this is, I mean, weirdly, this is something that I could actually confirm if I needed to. You know what I mean? Like, I work with people who are privy to all of this. So, that that's interesting. Uh, first of all, I wish that was happening. I mean, do, do you know what I mean? Like, I that would be one of the greatest things that I've ever heard. You, you know what I mean? Like, that's... Um, yeah. Where, you know what I mean? Like, where, who, who, how do we confirm, I think, how do we confirm that this is, like, it, what's, where's the source material coming from for the basis of all of this? Like, you know what I mean? Is this just, like, a conspiracy source? Yeah. Or is it, like, a source where we're, like, you know, like, is there any kind of, like, is there any official source that, like, even alludes to this being correct? I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I've just, um, I've just showed you, showed you the rabbit hole here, Miss Q. I right. Oh no, you, you have. And this is like, you know, this is right in your wheelhouse of of knowledge here. You would be able to confirm a lot of this stuff. I suggest that you just go on Twitter. Do you know? I'm going to hashtag Save the Children, and that will just. <laughs> Directs you to many, many different documentaries. Whoa! Are you doing that right now? Yeah, there's a, right it now? is a rabbit hole. 
Holy yeah. crap. Whoa. Okay, I'm just going to – okay, so we should do a follow-up part three where we discuss some of this stuff once you get up to speed. You may be up to speed immediately. Um, yeah, I mean, hello. Yeah, there's a thing called – okay, there's this documentary uh, going around called Out of Shadows that is um, – Interesting because it's from the perspective of this longtime uh, Hollywood stuntman uh, seeing this, seeing what was going on behind the scenes, and uh, Uh and now speaking out about it. But um, I, uh, yeah, fuck, I don't know. I feel. uh, Hold on one second. I gotta. I gotta talk to my wife because I'm supposed to put. my daughter to bed tonight. Oh, to bed. Yeah. No, I need coaching lines. I'm calling. Her. Okay. When when are they going to call in, honey? Five minutes. Okay. So you and I got to wrap this up, Max. Okay. Um, okay. But let's we're going to. Do you mind if we do a follow up here once you? I would get up love to, to. So let me get myself educated on it. Yes. Okay. And if you know what? You I'm are... actually going to call my people as well, and and yeah. and find out if there's like any because these people move and you know, federal database, like they know everything that's going on because this yeah. is kind of their background. If you, if you so I can follow this? up with maybe something even more interesting than we'd learn on the internet. How about that? Yeah, I would love that. Um, and, and I know Let's a lot of people would appreciate it. Okay. So you, you text me as soon as you know, well, as soon as you want to do another podcast, okay. maybe we can do it as okay, early as good. tomorrow. Well, okay, I'm going to find out as soon as possible. And this is so fun, Dad. Okay, go put those babies to bed. Okay, thank you, darling. You're okay, the best. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.